0: Hey, thank you for joining us today. This is Rebecca Tapia, your podcast host. If you're finding any value of this podcast, please do share it and leave a review. And also nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. And this is not a patient doctor relationship. It is really just a couple of people sitting around or maybe just myself discussing difficult topics related to aging parents. Enjoy. Thank you so much for being here. So thank you everyone for joining us. I have my very dear friend, Renee, with us again. Um, and as you know, um, part of our mission here is to bring difficult conversations to the working professionals uh, that are listening and dealing with very similar um, you know, challenges in their life. And um, I think it's important that we open up our conversations and our minds and our hearts and Um, bring some of these things that are very difficult out into the open and allow for conversation and dialogue. Sometimes that alone uh, seems to be part of the wellness and healing process for it. So um, the reason I brought you here today was to talk about, and I know this is going to sound like a fairly benign thing, but I think it's a big thing and I think it's a very common problem that that we face. um, And that's basically getting difficult emails from difficult people <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> and um, I'll take it up a notch and say, if it's an email from a person that you're related to, particularly a parent, that this can really, really stop your day. Um, it's very loaded. It's way different than getting an email from Best Buy about, you know, a weekend sale. And I think there are a lot of us that get an email from a parent in our heart basically, skips a little bit or we get a little bit um, hypertensive and we haven't even opened it yet because there's so many stories and there's so much context and background and baggage that can be related to a very simple um, request or, or statement. Um, and I love downloading this with you because we can trade these instances and they look so different to somebody who doesn't have the context and the background and the, and the stories with it. But let's just start by saying Um, Can you just set up the context
1: of of what generated this email? Uh, And we'll start there. Sure. So my mom had decided that she was going to throw herself an 80th birthday party. And she um, is not married. And I knew that this was going on because my, my brothers were talking about it like this is coming be ready and I didn't know when it was going to be or what it was going to look like Um, but I knew that she was planning something for herself and that was about all the information I had. Okay Um, and then how do y'all normally communicate by text or email or phone calls? So my mom does not text which is difficult so my mom also has some trouble sometimes getting email to work so usually i would say by email or um she still has a landline phone and that's actually the best way to reach her i've tried to get her to use her phone um like somebody would use it in 2023 which is actually you know doing text messages and i've told her you know you can be more informed about what you're grandkids are doing. Your grandkids are not going to call you on the landline, um, you know, but she just won't. She she thinks her cell phone is for emergencies only and she actually doesn't turn it on. So she doesn't have the ability to text. So you either have to call her on the landline or you have to send her an email. So getting an email from her is not unusual in and of
0: itself as no a more. form of communication. Okay. So what did the email say?
1: Um, it said... I want all my children there, meaning to come to my party, and I have already discussed it with your brothers, and, um, you know, they're coming, and the weekend of September 21st, we'll just pick a day because it was in September, works best. Does that work for you?
0: So that sounds like a fairly benign email, but I want to know the first thought that came to your head when you read it?
1: The first thought is that my, my mom is not negotiating with me that she's throwing down a demand that I show up without regards to my schedule and what's going on. And that she's also kind of colluded with my brothers to find a time that works for them. When, in fact, I have the most restrictive schedule out of everybody.
0: Talk talk more about that.
1: So my brothers, um, if this party is going to take place in September, both of my brothers, all of their children will be in college. And so they don't really have any restrictions on their time anymore. Whereas I will still have a son in high school that has uh, weekend activities and sporting events. And I'm really a single parent of him. And so... I don't tend to travel a lot um, during the school year where I have to leave him alone. And um, it's just, it's a lot more difficult for me because I still have a child living at home.
0: So one of the things um, that you'll hear uh, us talk about in the podcast when we do talk, so we, even when we're talking without it being recorded or anybody else listening to it, um, is really downloading and almost putting some of the thoughts on a spotlight and asking more questions about it uh, and if, if, if you hear us talking that way, it's never to dismiss how the other person is thinking or feeling. The ultimate question is really looking at it with curiosity, like this is what my brain made this mean um, and then us challenging each other to say, you know, are those thoughts serving us? What do those mean? Um, how do we move forward? How do we advocate for ourselves? You know, And, and so, I, I say these questions in an exploratory, curiosity way. So if the last line of the email was, does this work for you, it sounds like you didn't actually interpret that as an actual, does this work for you? So how did your brain get from, does this work for you, which would sound like in an objective way, uh, hey, maybe I'm open to this not working for you. Um, so
1: what it really meant was, this better work for you. How do you know that? Um, based on the tone of the email and the fact that I've already made arrangements with your brothers kind of ups the ante in terms of we've already made plans. Like, don't screw it up, you know, like, don't be the one that says no, or that doesn't show up or that doesn't, that makes it, it was, it was sort of at the end to be nice. Like, um, so it was kind
0: of a, you need to be here, this is important to me. Correct. The other two are coming. Oh, does this work for
1: you? Right. Right. Which when doesn't maybe really can... fit with the tone of the rest of the email. I see. Okay. Um, yeah. So what would
0: an email from somebody that you would think was actually interested in whether or not it worked for you, what would that read like?
1: So, uh... How about a greeting? Hello, (laughs) right? Okay, no, that's you asking for too much. I want my children here instead of a a demand that sounded like, you know, non-negotiable. You know, hi, Renee. Um, I know you're busy. How are things? We haven't talked in a couple weeks. Um, Hey, I would really love to have you come down and celebrate my 80th birthday. And your brothers and I have been talking about some possible times and before we decide on a date, you know, is there a particular month that could work better for you? Cause I'd really like you to come. It's important for, you know, for me to celebrate this milestone with you. I think that's what a healthy conversation would have sounded like.
0: So what, um, so your initial thought was, she's not really asking if it works for you. She's sort of making a demand. Did you reply? Did you wait? What did you do?
1: So I waited. I have a very, I have a long standing relationship with a therapist who's very helpful. And we talked about, you know, what it meant and my reactions and because I was very angry and sometimes I can't figure out why I'm so mad. And I, I know that I have to trust that feeling and I have to think about it before I reply. And so I showed it to you and we talked about what it meant as well. And then I did decide how I was going to reply, which was, um, very, you know, upbeat and jovial and with a true, there, there's only two things I could do. One is just comply and feel resentment. Why
0: would you have felt resentment?
1: Because I was doing something that I didn't want to do at a time that I didn't want to do it. Why was that? Um, I did not want to go in September. I really would rather be with my son at his water polo tournament. Right, so that, that's your value system. That's my value system right now, is supporting this child until he, at the highest level, until he goes on to college. Right. And I felt that I, I needed to do that. And one of the things that has been very important to me as I get older and as I navigate some of these very torturous waters in relationships is that I do not acquiesce um, if I feel like it's going to lead to resentment. Interesting. Because that is a warning feeling to me that I am out of my integrity and that I am ignoring my own feelings, wants and desires and, and sacrificing myself to keep the peace Or for someone else.
0: Okay, Renee, you have to stop right there. There is no way that was you at age 20, 25, maybe even 30. So where did this awareness that, you know, a demand comes from a loved one that's supercharged with sort of expectations and uh, maybe not coming across in a way that honors your value system or even acknowledges that you might have other things happening at that time in your life, which would demonstrate her awareness of your son's activities or your activities or what some of your constraints might be. So where, and maybe this is a bigger question for a whole other podcast, but where can you pinpoint sort of a, a turning point of you saying, Oh wait, I'm going to answer this honestly. Well, let's go back to the answer real quick. So what did you reply
1: to her? So I said, um, you know, thank you for, the invitation, It's. it sounds, I know that this is a milestone birthday for you and I'd love to participate. July would be better for me. And what happened after that? She has not
0: responded. And how long has it been? Two weeks. Fascinating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and what are, what are you making that mean? I am I am making it mean nothing. I really, she, nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It, it just... Because
0: you're answering the question honestly, which... I'll be damned if that isn't something really hard to learn to do. Yes. Right? Would you like to show up at this conference and speak on Tuesday? Yeah, it sounds... I would love nothing more, right? I mean, and so we have a lot of conditioned responses. Yeah. um, And I think some of them are gender-based. Some of them are cultural. Almost all of them are learned. Yes. And so where in your life, if you had to sort of trace back and say here is a a time in my life where I started recognizing resentment or potential resentment as a red flag, as like, you know, a check engine light and thinking differently and, and answering
1: honestly, like, how did you get there? Were you always there? Like where, where did this come from? I think it came from my enculturation as a people pleaser and somehow thinking that my own Thoughts, feelings, and actions could influence the behavior of another human being. Ouch. And yes, and if I only did, you know, this one thing or I, I acquiesced and made this person happy, um, that they would, you know, treat me differently or I would see myself differently or the relationship. and. What I realized, because I was a people pleaser and I would always sacrifice myself first, is there's no limit when you are involved in those types of relationships to what people will take from you. And expecting them to take less will never work.
0: So telling them you're
1: overdrafted doesn't doesn't change their behavior. It doesn't. And, and to try, when you've been someone who's given a lot to a relationship and then you suddenly say, wow, this really isn't working for me, you should stop asking. It never works that way. Right. The there giver, is a, some, some light bulb that goes off and is like, oh, I had no idea that no, this wasn't working for you. No, you have to be the one. You have to have the agency of your own life and the awareness of your own, you know, boundaries of what you can give to a situation or a person, um, to say, yeah, I can't do that, or that doesn't work for me. And it took me so long to be able to feel like I could, first of all, understand all the emotions that came with those situations, because I didn't have the words to describe what I was feeling. I just knew that. I felt bad or I felt angry or I felt like I didn't want to talk to that person right now. Like there were these warning signs. And what I realized is that it was someone pushing up against my boundaries and that I didn't have an effective way to, um, assert myself or make my wishes known, or even I would say come into the relationship or the situation with being able to negotiate a compromise.
0: So I find this fascinating. um, That's something that you had to have modeled for you or read about or had sort of a thought leader that sort of gave you this idea that maybe you didn't have to, like, answer in a way that says, yes, mom, I'll be there. What else can I bring? Right? Can you point to anybody like that or any... Yeah, resources.
1: I I think um, I started reading books by Harriet Lerner, and she does a lot about um, family systems, and she's a psychologist. She talks a lot about her books are usually started with a title like "The Dance of," and her book "The Dance of Anger" was very important. You know why we feel anger towards certain people or situations, and. I started really looking at anger as a trigger for me and what was it telling me? And that was really important. I think also there were a couple of podcasts I listened to by Brene Brown and she talked very specifically about her own people pleasing tendencies and what that meant. And that saying yes to certain things, you know, means saying no to yourself and, um, how many, how many, You 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 cannot keep doing that,
0: and uh, so when I heard you talk about this email, and I you know we've talked about this topic several times, both sides of you know um, working or dealing with parents and and trying to you know live in your value system, but then having some difficulties that come up, I saw it as very much part of her pattern of communication with you which is, like you said, just the lack of a greeting, a warm greeting. Hello. How are you? I'm, you know, I hope this is reaching you at a time that, you know, you're, you're doing well, or how are the kids? But it was basically, hello, demand, are you going to come? And I thought about this could be extrapolated into a childhood, which would be a very, um, or could be characterized as um, challenging to deal with that, um, as a mother. um, and I'm interested to know what your psychologist thought, how this might have fitted into, fit into the greater concept of sort of your relationship with your
1: mom. I think, um, this is very typical of my relationship with my mother. My mom was, um, very demanding. My mom had, I think, undiagnosed mental illness when I was younger. Um, she was very anxious followed by periods of depression and, you know, back in the sixties and seventies, you just didn't talk about those things or, you know, a lot of times people just drank really heavily and, you know, that's how they coped with their mental illness. Luckily, my mom, you know, never did that. Um, but she, I think expected things for me that were, um, should not have been expected of a young child. And really heaped a lot of responsibility on me that really wasn't my burden to bear, um, and it's taken me a long time. I mean, it, it's really no surprise then that I would go into a a field, you know, of medicine where you're expected to manage multiple things at the same time and give and give and give until you can't simply can't anymore. And so that process, I think of knowing that I was going to, you know, either burn out or I couldn't manage all the demands of a family and a career really made me just start thinking about my own life and what, um, what boundaries that I needed in place for my own physical and mental health. Um, and also, um, going through a very challenging situation with, um, my husband at the time, who was an was an addict, and so I became involved in, you know, AA and going to Al-Anon, which was actually very helpful because they have a lot of um, material about boundaries, and they call it staying in your lane. And that was the first time that I really learned about some of those issues, and I think that was very important. And I also learned about things like. Um, radical honesty and being responsible for myself and myself only. Um, I think that was very important for understanding my relationship with my mother and also developing better coping mechanisms and the ability to respond to those situations and to not, and also Allow my mother to sit with her own discomfort and anger about a situation. Like, it's not my responsibility to make her feel better.
0: So, that's a lot of information that I think is very key. And I want your opinion or just sort of to digest this idea. Um, Like, when you said um, that you could have radical honesty with responding and you responded the way you responded, and you said, hey, July works for me better. I kind of think of it like if I was reading this as a dude, and they take it literally, and the mom is like, hey, does this work for you? And you're like, no, this is better. And they don't maybe have the same drama that we have in our brains yes. about interpreting it or wondering what they could have meant. or And I wonder, you know, the magic, in this stage of life would be the permission to answer questions honestly. And that radical you know, wellness or self-care is doing exactly what you did, which I think, I know it sounds like this is one reply to one email, but this is a much bigger thing. Because if we are in a situation where we're dealing with our kids and our careers and our aging parents, and we get, we get requests all the time that give us a twinge right Mm -hmm. that make our stomach turn a little bit not because we don't love that person not because we don't love you know doing whatever they do it's because we know it doesn't work and we know what that's going to cost and you knew immediately that would cost you a tournament with your son yeah right and you knew immediately it would cost what did you say seven or eight hundred dollars yeah right which i know that's not the the biggest part of it but And that would cost you some days off of work to go do this. Sure. And the idea that you count in the discussion is, I think, so critical to how our inner dialogue has to change as we get older, as we step into this sort of phase of life where it feels like there are a million plates in the air. And what worked for us when we were 25 and agreeable and people-pleasing and getting ahead and getting rewarded for that. That there's this awakening that maybe all of us are at different stages of of just saying July works better. Yeah. And, and living in that and it being the answer because it's the answer. Because writing back to say, "Geez, you know, I I this is really important to you. Um, I'll make it work," which is the worst thing I say sometimes, right? Oh yeah. And I like oh, yeah. every time I tell somebody this. I'll make it work. I feel like I just let myself down. Like there's a part of me that dies every time I write this in a text message or an email at work. And it's like, don't worry, I'll make it work. And what I'm doing is I'm promising my future sanity, my future time, resources that I don't know the depth of just yet.
1: Or that I'm not sure I'm going to have.
0: That I'm not sure I'm going to have so that you can feel better. And I just wanted to take this podcast to talk about this very specific issue not so much about you know your mom's birthday, but that it's a microcosm. When we talked about this, I was like, this is a microcosm of where we, we can get to in our mindsets and our conversations, our internal conversations, that will help us survive this time. And not only show up for them, you'll show up for her in July, right? Show up for ourselves. And, yeah. I, and I think it's important that we have to continue this dialogue that where did you matter in this conversation? Because I can tell you that you can become very conditioned to being the first person out, right? And I, am, I think I'm a master of this, which is I know how much I can take. I can be very uncomfortable. I can be very stretched thin. And I live with people that have, you know, much lower thresholds. <laughs> and I think, well, I have a very th- high threshold for being uncomfortable, yes. right? So I'll bring um, jackets for everybody else, but. Oh, there's not enough room in the suitcase, so I won't bring a jacket for myself. I'll figure it out. Yes, and there's a point at which I'll and figure I'll it out. And I'll just be
1: cold, and I'm okay with it, and I'm not going to bitch and complain and ruin everybody else's exactly. time. Exactly.
0: But I'm cold, and it's almost like, well, where did I figure in this? And and I and I know this sounds, you know, silly, but there's this point of like the all fit the all figure it out is sort of this like very subtle betrayal. Yes. Of knowing that it doesn't work, that there is a, of course, there's a cost. And right? that's what
1: Brene Brown talks about, the betrayal of yourself to make someone else happy.
0: Right, because because what do we talk about? What are the main constraints, right? Our constraints in life are our time, our attention, and our money. And to me, those are the, there, there are some combination of costs in any given situation. Now, money, you could argue, okay, well, if you have a lot of money, maybe that isn't as much of a constraint. Or if you have very little money, it's a huge constraint. But if we'll put that on the shelf for now, to me, the most critical thing is my time and attention. And what happened when you got this email, what I saw happen in your brain was, and to step us through this, is that you had different parts of your value system come into conflict. And you had to decide and make a decision about what your true value system was. And your value system is that your son is you know, going through his last couple of years of high school. This is an extremely important weekend for him. This is an extremely important event and you want to be there. Yes. And you want to live into that. And, and to me, you know, you could make up all sorts of stories about, you know, what you replied or that she didn't reply. And the beautiful part of the story is that you mattered and he mattered and you replied in an honest way. And I, and I'd hate to think that, that this is rocket science and that we're not doing this, but I know we're not. Because I talk to women every single day who don't matter in those conversations. And I'm talking about successful, you know, professionally successful type A, you know, you look at their LinkedIn page and you're like, this person is phenomenal. And right around the corner from that is extremely what I would call almost dysfunctional borderline thinking about how little they tend tend to matter in these types of transactions. What is your experience with that, especially with, I would say, sort of highly you know, high-performing women in professional settings. Like, to me, it's almost, like, pathological at
1: some point. But
0: but what's your experience with that?
1: I think, for me, the former self, (laughs) me 20 years ago, probably would have not been able to face it and would have just made something up. Like, oh, I have a really... I'm on call that weekend. I I can't go. And to me, I... I would rather that, you know, have lied than faced the feelings that I had surrounding this very difficult conversation. And I'm so not like that anymore. And I feel like I want to respond with that situation, with respect that it's important to my mother, but also with integrity about my most precious resource which is my time and how I spend it right and while she deserves it it may not be at the time that she insists upon right and I recognize the importance of the occasion I reckon and I you know could plan to come in July over a long weekend but if you insist on having it a time that it doesn't work for me or my family, then I'm not going to be present. And to me, that is standing firm in my integrity and my honesty, and saying, you know, this is what I'm able to do in this in this situation. And I feel it still does. It still makes me cringe and feel uncomfortable because I know that that may be, you know, there'll be some backlash or the worst thing that happens in my family is that maybe my mom won't deal with me directly and she'll get one of my brothers to call me. Oh, great. What would that look like? So that would be a, gee, you know, mom's really disappointed in you. Um, you know, she really wants you to come and we have this all planned. And so I also have to then, cause this has happened before, tell my brother, you know, this isn't your business. And this is a situation that mom and I have to talk about directly. And those are also difficult conversations too, because we've all been taught to triangulate rather than having direct conversations with, with one another, right? Don't gang up on me. Don't, don't be part of this pile driver, you know, and, and mom and I have to be adults and we have to work through this together. And I I told her, my response would be, you know, I, I gave her a time that works for me. And I said that in the email, I understand that this may not work for the group, you know, and that that you may have to, you know, have the party without me. Right. There's my permission. Right.
0: I, I think that that emerges as a core superpower in navigating this part of life, which is I'll borrow your word from AA, the, the radical honesty and keeping up sort of this charade that everybody matters at all times and that you're willing and able to do all things at all times for everyone, um, is, is dishonest, um, it is to yourself and maybe to them. And at the end of the day, um, a way to have a fulfilled relationship with them and with yourself at the same time, um, even if you have to change a pattern, which it sounds like you had to do, Yes, I do. right? Because this wasn't something you did when you were 18 or 25. Um, And I think a lot of us find ourselves growing into that um, is is being very direct and very frank. And and as uncomfortable as that may feel, it it just seems to me like a magic sauce or like a secret sauce of of that's how you're going to make it. And that's how, you know, when your son gets out of the pool that day and he's really let down because he, you know, the team lost at the last second or he gets out of the pool that day and he's elated because he had a great game and, and the universe will reveal to you at that time what this was about. Um, And so I think of, you know, sort of this anticipatory resentment or anticipatory regret, not being about your mom, nothing to do with your relationship with your mom, but your future self tugging at you. And when we stopped listening to her, or never started listening to her to begin with, right, or we're, or we're sort of like conditioned ourselves to make sure she didn't matter because it was very inconvenient when she was tugging and tugging when we were having children and starting our careers and trying to balance everything. I think it's it's this, this idea that she's not just tugging. She needs to be at the head of the table. Mm-hmm. And her knowing and her wisdom and her life experience is saying well, wow, I have a lot of things that matter to me, and I only have 24 hours in a day. So um, this concept that we all have equivalent time wealth in any given day. So everybody gets 24 hours, right? And how we spend it reflects our value system, um, and that you're living into your value system. And when you're living into that, like you said, it doesn't mean you're not going to get some, you know, nasty text message from your brother, or that your mom won't write something back That that, you know, sort of is kind of sappy or sad or something, that there will be that, but that you get to live in integrity and that that's the greatest gift you can give to yourself and to her. Yes. And at the end of the day, and we won't get into sort of these dynamics of you know, how our parents love us or if they love us or how they express that. At the end of the day, I, whenever I'm, I'm worried about this, I think if I'm dealing with somebody who loves me, then they'll respect this. Yes. And that doesn't mean they're going to write an email that says... Oh my gosh, you know, of course, July's fine, right? That doesn't mean that looks like they don't even have to behave that way. I just have to know inherently in this relationship. If they love me, they know me, they know I have values. They know I have integrity and myself, and I'm living into that. Then they'll trust that. And that to me is those magical relationships you have in your life where they inherently trust what you're able to do and not able to do without question. And you never seem to have enjoyed that with your own mother. As long as I've known you.
1: I would agree. Um, I I just had a fleeting thought about that. So tell me the the last thought that you had before you just said that. Because there there was something else important in there that we needed to unpack.
0: So I think um, that I inherently trust that people who love me will honor and respect what I know
1: I can and cannot do. Okay, so... That's because you're an emotionally healthy individual. And when I'm dealing with my mother, sometimes the most important thing is that she gets her way. And how does that make you feel? Um, like I'm dealing with a spoiled child. Right. Right. And, and that it's more important to her to trample my integrity and to, to have her own way. And that those two are... They're, they're one or the other they can't coexist
0: but what I love is the power of being able to think about this I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take back some of your adjectives because it sounds like a very active thing to say I'm, I'm trampling your integrity like and I want to change the adjectives or change the verbs in a way that she can exist in a neutral fashion that this is and I know it doesn't feel like this being, the child of someone who has these behaviors. But there is there a place that you can get to where she is? That is how she... And, and when we talked about this a, a couple times ago, you said, that's. I've come to know that that is what I should expect of her in an almost like neutral way. And what that leaves you with, once that's sort of solved for, that you're not trying to change her, which has been another evolution, right? Right. You're not trying to incentivize different behavior. You've tried that. I oh, know yeah. you have. You've, you've tried to sort of coach her on ways that she can show up for you differently. Yes. And there's going to be a point when you're talking to aging parents or dealing with that. Okay, that's not worth it anymore. Okay, there's only like, yes. there is no more conversations that can be had of, you know, I sure would feel more loved and appreciated if you would address me this way or whatever right yes and it's not their job to make us feel loved and appreciated as much as we'd like to think that as their children you know there's no job description for it and so i i think you'll you mentally if you're going back into sort of protecting your inner wellness and your core and your existence and your integrity is you've had to almost get to a point where that is that is how she would ask me this question there'd be no other way there was no other email that was ever going to come to you about this. From her, no. Correct. No. Right. And so where? how did you make that mental transition from reading an email like that and saying, I'm going to respond and say, I really wish you would have said it this way and asked about my son and asked about me and et cetera, et cetera, to responding the way that you did?
1: I think... Probably the greatest gift that we can give to our parents is to meet them where they are. And Brene Brown also has this concept of, of, do you believe that people are doing the best they can? And I believe that that email is the best that she can do. And so even though I don't like it, the best I can do is to respond in my integrity and say July works better for me.
0: Well, I think that's beautiful and I want to thank you for sharing that and I want to have you back on the podcast circa July or September. (laughs) And you're going to have to tell me all about the
1: party about what actually happened. I want to know
0: exactly what happened. I want to know what was said and not said. If she responds by email, you have to send it to me immediately (laughs) because people are going to be wondering.
1: Like, what happened? Right. This is true. This is true. Well, I really appreciate
0: it. Thank you so much for sharing. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. It's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you really enjoyed the podcast. I am here to let you know I can be found on RebeccaTapiaMD.com. You can come over there to learn about my new course launching this summer dealing with mindset for aging parents, getting prepared all the good stuff, sharing my opinions and life lessons. Uh, Also could just join my email list so I can share more about my thoughts about these podcasts and more insights there. Thank you so much for being here.